0: see all of you this morning. Glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. As was mentioned earlier, if you're one of our guests, uh, we're also glad that you're here. We hope you'll stick around after services. Let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. I want us to read verses 1 and 2. One thing I mentioned last week was that God has given us His Word, not only to provide us with information, but He's given us His Word for our transformation. And that's what I want us to explore just a little bit this morning. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Hear now the Word of the true and living God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Indeed, Father, we pray, change us, shape us, mold us, transform us into the image of Jesus. We do not want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by you. Renew our minds through your word this morning, we pray. Amen. You may have seen them before. Maybe you bought one before. Square watermelons. And <laughs> how do they do that, right? People wonder how they make those square watermelons. And normally, of course, watermelons are oblong, right? But somebody somewhere decided to try and grow a watermelon in a square container. Of course, the idea is to control the size of the watermelon so that it's easier to fit into your refrigerator. And so they force the watermelon to readjust. Uh, from its normal, natural, oblong shape into the form of the new shape that's been determined by its environment. When Paul writes to the Christians in Rome and he calls them not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, we might say that he is calling Christians not to be square watermelons. There is a natural, or should we say supernatural, shape that God desires for us. The normal Christian life is one of transformation and renewal. But all the while, the world wants us to conform to the shape of the natural person that has been determined by the worldly environment. Transform or conform. Either allow God to transform us or allow the world to press us into its mold and conform us. There are only two options. There's no third way where you get to be part square watermelon and then oblong on the other end. Where you get to be part Christian and part worldly. And this has impact not only for what we do here on Sunday mornings for 60, 75 minutes. Shortly you will get up, and you will walk out these doors, and you will go on with your lifestyle. What are you living outside these doors? How are you living outside these doors? That is what Paul is so concerned about with these Christians in Rome. This is what God is concerned about with his people across time and space? Will you just go on with your normal lifestyle, just a a worldly life, or will you be changed and transformed and live out the desires and the will of your Father in heaven? See, God transforms those who respond to his mercies. Notice the motivation for this in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. First of all, the word, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore. He's writing to Christians, by the way. He says brothers, brothers and sisters. But therefore. And whenever you see therefore, you've probably heard it before. You've got to ask, what's it there for? And this is acting sort of as a summation of, of everything that Paul's written up to this point. Chapters 1 through 11 have been Paul's progressive doctrinal masterpiece concerning justification by faith. Chapter 12 begins the practical application of how do you live this out within the body and within the world. In view of what Paul has covered for 11 chapters, I appeal to you, therefore, to do this. Well, what has Paul been talking about up to this point? You go back to chapter 1. And he talks about how all humanity is under the wrath of God because of sin. Because the truth about God has been clearly revealed in what he has created, but we take that truth and we stifle it and we sh- we shove it down, we suppress it like that, like that beach ball in the swimming pool and you're trying to hold it down. And... Uh, it's true primarily for the Gentiles. And so the Jewish folks in the congregation might be saying, Yeah, Paul, go get those Gentiles. They're so lost. And then Paul, real quick, in chapter 2, turns around and says, Not so fast, Oh, you who have the law. You see, the Gentiles demonstrate they have the law written on their hearts. You had Sinai, and how are you doing with that? Oh, you haven't kept the law perfectly? In chapter 3, is the summation of this. And he quotes verse after verse after verse. There are none who do good, no, not one. No one does righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek after God. Uh, The the venom of asp is on their tongues. And it all comes to, therefore, the whole world is accountable to God. And, And the picture there is one where the head is bowed, the mouth is shut, because we are convicted before God because of sin. And that's the whole world. The whole world is under sin. But God justifies the ungodly and he does it through Jesus. God sent Jesus into this world to be propitiation, the redemption through his blood, and he justifies us through Christ and by faith. Chapter 4 is all about justification by faith. Chapter 5 is about how God, by the blood of Christ and out of his great love, has justified us by his death and saved us by his life, the life of Christ. We've been united with Christ in baptism, chapter 6. And although I... I'm I'm not as bad as I was and as bad as I was. uh, I wasn't bad all the time, but when I was bad, I was very bad. Well, God still saved me, and He put His Spirit within me, and and He calls me to life with Him. Romans chapter 8 talks about this, life in the Spirit, and putting to death the works of the flesh. And all of this is according to the wise plan of God for both Jews and Gentiles. And that's what chapters 9, 10, and 11 were all about. Oh, how, how wise is God! How deep is His wisdom! It is beyond finding out. It is unfathomable. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in light of all of that, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Again, everything that he's written up to this point has certainly been about the mercies of God, but if you back up just a few verses into chapter 11... Chapters 9, 10, and 11 have have really hit the the mercy of God. And in chapter 9, one of the things that Paul said there was, he mercies whom he mercies and hardens whom he wills. But then you get here to chapter 11, verses 30 to 32, and listen to this. He says, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. And again, Paul's putting on display here the the Jew-Gentile distinction but how God has been at work even in the disobedience and rebellion of the Jewish people on behalf of Gentiles. That's the you here. You were at one time disobedient, you Gentiles. And it's uh, you've received mercy because of their disobedience, the Jewish people, uh, by and large, although not all, there was still a remnant. Paul was part of that. He was a Jewish man himself. Verse 31, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now... Also, receive mercy, for God has consigned all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. In light of these mercies, plural, by the way, it's not just one mercy. God is so merciful, overly merciful to us sinners. And it's in light of the mercy of God that Paul makes this appeal. Uh, One writer put it this way Indeed, the gospel is God's mercy to inexcusable and undeserving sinners. But even his mercy is rooted in his nature. He is a God who is merciful and gracious. And that's that's the basis for the motivation behind the call that Paul is going to make here. In light of the mercies of God. He says here, the rest of verse 1: present your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or spiritual service. You see, in light of that divine motivation, Paul is calling these Christians and calling us to bodily dedication. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And and the word here for present, present your bodies, that was the word that was typically used whenever an Israelite under the sacrificial system would present an animal at the sacrificial altar at the temple. And and they'd have to present the animal. That was part of the the whole sacrifice that was involved, presentation of the animal. Well, for us, as the temple of God and and as the priests of God, our offering, our sacrifice is our bodies. Your body is the good creation of God. And as our creator, He has say-so over how we use our bodies and what we do with our bodies. Our bodies. Not just Sunday morning, by the way, but Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons and Saturday nights. We, our bodies, we are are members of Christ. We are part of the temple of God, living stones in God's temple. And we are devoted to God, consecrated to His service. Present your body as a living sacrifice. It's fascinating, the, the, the idea here of living sacrifice, because whenever you presented a, a sacrifice uh, in, in, under the sacrificial system, it, was, it, was, it meant death for the sacrificial animal. Something died so that atonement could be made. Thanks be to God, Christ died in our place on the cross, and atonement has been made. But we are still living sacrifices. And, and a couple of ideas here. One is it's a sacrifice that is full of life, full of energy, to do the will of God. And also, uh, a part of this living sacrifice, it's new life that has been given to us by the living God in order to live life with Him. We were dead in our trespasses and uh, disobedience, and now we have been made alive to walk in newness of life, something Paul mentioned earlier in Romans chapter 6. And we've been called to this new life to put to death the deeds of the body, by the Spirit who lives within us. We've been called to this new life in the Spirit. Again, all of Romans chapter 8 outlining that. And we are called here to authentic Christian service. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. You see, the presentation of our bodies to God, that's holy to God. It's fascinating when the, the, the priest, the high priest, when he would get uh, dressed up in his garb to, to perform this, the sacrificial service for the people of God, one of the things he put on was a turban, and that turban had a gold plate in the front. And you know what that gold plate had written across it, engraved on it? Holy to Yahweh. And Now here we are, as living sacrifices, holy to God. I think there's a, a, a connection there. But also, it's acceptable to God. God accepts our living sacrifice. He accepts it as, as our spiritual service, our spiritual worship. And this it captures all of life. It's not just outward conduct. That's part of it for sure. But outward conduct without the inner person and the inner purity that goes along with that is meaningless. In fact, it's hypocrisy. This captures the whole person, body and soul, That our inner life must be ordered after how God desires for us to live. And it's indeed out of that new inner transformation that we live out uh, the the, the external conduct. You see, the service that we render to God, it, it doesn't just end when we walk out these doors. It's true, we are worshiping God. This is a spiritual worship thing that happens here. But when we walk out these doors, again, we are living sacrifices day in and day out, Tuesday mornings, Thursday afternoons, Saturday nights. And so you might say, well, I go to church to worship God. True. But you also ought to say, yeah, and I also go to the office to serve God. And I go to the shop to serve God. And I go to school to serve God. And I go to the store to serve God. And I go to my computer and I, to serve God. And I go to the doctor to serve God. And I go to my home to serve God. You see, everything about our life is laid on the altar of God since we are living sacrifices. Again, it's more than just the 60 to 75 minutes that we spend here every Sunday morning. It captures all that we do. He lived for us and He died for us, Christ did, so that we might live for Him every day. As we come to verse 2, there is a reminder that the world does not want you to live like Christ. That there are powerful spiritual opponents that also don't want you to live for Christ. That there is such a thing as worldly contamination, and it's rooted in that first phrase there, do not be conformed to this world. To conform is to follow the ever-changing schematic of the world. In fact, uh, part of this word that's used here for conformed, we get our English word schematic from it. But there is a blueprint that the world follows, and there is a mold that it wants to press us into. And it's fascinating the way this is written. Do not be conformed. It is a, it is a command, an imperative command. And you read that and, and you got, got to ask the question, well, why, why would Paul have to say this? Why, why would he have to command Christians not to follow the schematic of the world? Hmm, I wonder. Implied in the command is that, well, there were some Christians in the Roman congregation who were busy following after the blueprint of the world, that ever-changing blueprint of the world. And you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. What about you, my brother, my sister? Are you following hard after that ever-changing blueprint and schematic of the world? Are you being pressed down and conformed to this world It's a problem that has plagued the church ever since its inception. Christians wanting to live like the world. Christians being conformed to the world. Sometimes it seems like some of the ambitions of some Christians is to be as much like the world as possible rather than aiming to be as much like Christ as possible. It wasn't even a new problem. In Paul's day, come with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10. Keep your finger there in Romans 12, we'll come back. In Jeremiah, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Listen to God's indictment of his people then. Hear the word of Yahweh. Hear the word that Yahweh speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says Yahweh Learn not the way of the nations nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, which the nations are dismayed at, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. You see, even in Jeremiah's day, there were Israelites, some of God's people, who were busy trying to learn the ways of the nations. The very thing, by the way, that God, during the second telling of the law in Deuteronomy, had told them, don't do. When you go into the land, don't learn how these people worshipped their gods, how these different people groups worship their gods. Don't learn that. And yet here is God commanding once again His people, don't learn, stop learning the ways of this world. Indeed, in Romans 12 and verse 2, it could be translated, stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. That's how it could be understood as well. Again, there are always some of God's people. Who want to learn the ways of the nations, who want to learn the ways of this world. It's like, it's like clothing, though. The, the the ever-changing schematic, the ever-changing blueprint of the world. It's like clothing style. Clothing styles go in and out, right? I mean, back in the day, some of y'all were wearing bell bottom pants, right? It was kind of went out of style for a while. And then and then they kind of came back in uh, during like like the late nineties, early two thousands. Just kind of, right? I don't know if those leisure suits are ever coming back. So if they're in your closet, you can get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, pray they don't. Yeah, yeah. Clothing styles go in, then go out, and that's what the the blueprint of the world is like. It's always changing, and that's because it's not actually founded on any foundation. The the philosophies of this world have both feet firmly planted in midair and they don't even realize it. It's why things that were once taboo are now paraded down Main Street. It's why uh, certain practices and and activities have been normalized. It's just the way the world is, and that's right. The world is going to do what the world does. But Paul is calling these Christians, listen, the world is going to do whatever's fashionable, whatever's popular, whatever the majority thinks. But the majority does not dictate what is right, what is godly, what is righteous, what is holy. God does. God determines what is right and what is godly and, and what is righteous and what is holy. And you, Christians, you're not supposed to be chameleons for Christ out there, looking like and changing with the world as well. We don't change with our surroundings. We're not determined by the worldly environment around us. We're not pressed into that mold. So what do we do? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here is spiritual transformation. Be transformed. First, this, uh, this word is the same word that's used, and we looked at this account last month, at the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was transfigured, the same word there is used here by Paul. And we remember that when Jesus was transfigured, for a moment uh, the veil of this present reality was pulled back and the brilliance of the glory of the Son of God came shining forth, just for a moment. Jesus' image, His his form was changed for a moment. And that's the idea of this transformation – uh, you, you probably have heard the illustration before, it's like the butterfly or the caterpillar butterfly, right? The caterpillar goes into the cocoon, comes out of the butterfly. That's the change, the, the, the metamorphosis that takes place. Some, it, 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 determine, it has to do with something being changed into something new, something different, and it is in some way even superior to what it was before. Well, for us, we are to be transformed and even conformed to the image of the Son of God. This is seen in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. There it is. That we are to be shaped and molded and changed into the image of Christ. The other thing that stands out here when it comes to spiritual transformation is that transformation is God's work. It is God who transforms us. It is God who changes and shapes us. And this is evident in the way this is written in the original language. It's written in what's called the passive voice. That is, we're being acted upon by an outside agent. In this case, it's God, even the triune God. And I thought about this. I thought, how are we we transformed by the Trinity? You ever think about this? And as I thought about it, I thought, well, when it comes to the Father, one way, one way that we are transformed by God the Father is in prayer. It is Jesus who tells us that we are to pray to our Father in heaven. And when Jesus, what was Jesus doing when He was transfigured? Do you remember? He was praying. And in a similar way, when we pray, we, we pray so that we are changed. That's one of the the, the purposes of prayer is to change us. And it's God who, God the Father even, who transforms us in prayer. I thought about, well, what does what transformation by the Son look like? And to think about God the Son takes us to the cross, doesn't it? That it is by the cross that Christ changes us. Because after all, what is He doing as He's hanging on the cross? He carries our sins with Him there. All of our sins are placed upon Him. And so, in that way, the the removal of our sins, that ought to change us. As we consider and think about how far God went to to, to, to grant us forgiveness, to take away all of our sins. That's That's a motivation for no longer living like I once did. I'm not saying that we'll be Sinless in this this side of eternity, but we will learn to sin less in light of the cross. And then I thought about transformation by the Spirit. And I've already referenced it a couple of times back in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, You will live. Indeed, it is only by the Spirit that we will be able to put the death, the deeds of the body. And this, all of this is wrapped up in the big Bible word, sanctification. That the the Holy Spirit is changing us through His sanctifying work in our lives. That it is the Spirit who helps us to look like Jesus. And this is pleasing to our Father in heaven. Specifically to this text here, notice that we are transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, God changes us by changing our thinking. Indeed, that's where the battle takes place. It's a battle for the mind. That it is uh, every lofty thought that raises itself against the knowledge of God that we are called to dismantle and destroy, 2 Corinthians 10 talks about. And so God, He changes our thinking. Indeed, elsewhere, Paul talks about how we have the mind of Christ. And Indeed, every page of Scripture we can look to and we can can glean from it the mind of Christ. And so with the Helper, the Holy Spirit, God is at work to change our hearts, to change our thoughts, to change our minds. As we continue to lay aside more and more the ever-changing fashions of this world and as we pursue holiness and all the actions that are pleasing to God and that's part of this as well you see as our minds are renewed uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God as our minds are renewed we think God's thoughts after him and we are ready to identify God's will for our lives. Do you, you want to know what God's will is for your life, brother, sister? Of course you do, right? What Christian doesn't want to know what God's will is for their life? And typically, when we think about God's will, you know, we think about, well, does, uh, does God want me to buy this car or, or this car? Right? Does God want me to live here or there? And, and don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that those, those decisions aren't important. And that even God providentially is working that out for His glory. But when I read Scripture, come with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When I read Scripture, there are some some big things that pertain to our spiritual nature that God is especially concerned about. 1 Thessalonians verse 3, ready? Look at this. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God. Okay, here we go. Paul's going to tell us about cars and houses and, and all. This is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, that you be holy unto Him. And then Paul does get rather pointed here. He says that you abstain from fornication, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Ooh. Boy, that, there's, there's the connection there about our bodies. We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Yeah, how to control our own body in holiness and honor. We no longer are devoting our bodies to ungodly things or dishonorable things, dishonorable passions. That's a real thing too, by the way, Scripture talks about. Now, holiness, honorable desires. That, by the way, the Holy Spirit is at work to produce within us. Uh, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And and on he goes, and I invite you to continue that reading in your own personal study. But I want you to see here that uh, discerning God's will, he has revealed what his will is for us. And there's a sense in which God is saying, if you get these things, sanctification, controlling your body, abstaining from fornication, you get these things well, then all these other things will be added to you. Almost as if Jesus talked about that, right? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And by the way, God's will, it's what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, There is, uh, I think all of those things go together, but at the same time, in Scripture, we see that, that there are examples of how there are good things that we ought to pursue, And, and but then there are, there's another level where it, it, it's better, and then, of course, there's the best. For an illustration of this, uh, come with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and, and let's notice verse 28 first, Ephesians 4 verse 28. Paul let the thief no longer steal. Implied there is that there are some Christians in Ephesus, and again, I think this was a circular, circular letter throughout the Lycus River Valley, and so there were apparently some Christians in these churches who at one point were thieves, and they stole. And so the thief, don't steal anymore. That's good, right? No longer steal. But what would be better? Rather, let him labor, Doing honest work with his own hands. An honest day's wages. There's something about an honest day's wages that is godly. And that's, that's better than just not stealing, right? But then the best is so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Ah, take, take those goods that you've gathered and share it with others. That's the best. You seem to have a similar thing in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You ever been in that boat? Maybe that's some Christians here. Apparently there were some Christians in Ephesus in that Lycus River Valley. They used to have, they used to talk like a sailor, right? That's the, that's the vernacular way of saying it, right? So it's good not to talk that way. You know what would be better? But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. Number one, read the room, right? But also, what's good for building up? Edifying people. You know what's best? So that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, Good, better, best. And so, yeah, trying, seeking to discern, testing what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. There may be a progression there as well. You know, I have a I have a CD player in my Jeep, and right now, what's in there is uh, DC Talks Jesus Freak. I just play that over and over right now. That's that's what I'm on. But you know, um, I have other CDs that I could listen to. I got uh, the Beatles' Number One Hits. That's the, that's the the CD that has the red cover with the big yellow number one on it, right? And we I had that on repeat for a while. In fact, I could play any CD I want in my CD player. Um, In fact, I've got one right here. This is a a sermon by our own buddy Gray. This is a Christmas Day sermon that he preached. Uh, God's greatest gift is salvation. I could play this CD in my Jeep right now. And maybe you've got a CD player in your car, right? You can play CDs in in that uh, CD player. You know what I can't play? A cassette tape. And and this is a good one. Knowing the will of God. Ooh. Boy, I, want, I want to hear what's on here. But I cannot play this in my CD player. Uh, for the younger folks in the room, we used to have cassettes, right? Even this, right? CD? What? Everything comes through my phone now. But, all right. You see, my CD player has been designed to fit this media form, CDs. It has not been designed to fit this media form, cassette tapes. You know, when we attempt to take spiritual information and give it to the flesh, it will not work. It won't work. We fail to walk by the Spirit and, and so be transformed by God when we operate according to the flesh, when we operate according to worldly standards. Or consider also, we have a new nature from God, and that new nature requires spiritual things. But if you're only pursuing worldly things, you're only pursuing fleshly things, it's like trying to squeeze a cassette tape into your CD player. It's not going to work. We've not been made or remade for worldly things. We've been made and remade for spiritual things. And it really does come down to the world or God's will. What's it going to be? The world or God's will? Will we, are, will we allow ourselves to be pressed down into the mold of the world and follow hard after the schematic of this world that's ever-changing? Or will we pursue God's will? And indeed, allow Him to transform us and shape us so that we can pursue His will. This transformation, it's only realized, it's only accomplished by living near to God. By following closely in the footsteps of Christ. As closely as you can. That that if Jesus stopped walking, you'd run right into the back of Him, right? And so, with Paul, I appeal to you therefore, brothers Indeed, Father, we need your help. As we prayed earlier, so now we pray again, change us, shape us, mold us, transform us. Conform us to the image of Christ by your Spirit who lives within us. So help us, God. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.